it's not yours to choose what you do or like what happens to you. It's up to you to choose how to react to and how to grow from and live with the things that you do or that are done to you. You're listening to Let's Be Omnist, the show where we are celebrating spiritual diversity, one truth and one story at a time. My name is Michael Anthony. I am your host. I am the spiritual life coach and intuitive reader from thedivinerlife.com. So this is the official, the very real, the absolute first full episode of Let's Be Omnist, episode number one. And I'm so excited to just dive right in and let you see what this is all about. So on this episode, I sat down with my friend, Derek Collard, to talk about his journey to Cambodia, how he came to embrace his sexuality, and his life mission to create more safe spaces for humanity. I met Derek on Instagram just a few months ago and we connected on our deep love for all things that are divine and how there's really no limit to who or what the divine really is. And I wanted to bring him on the show simply because we have really good conversation on a daily basis. And I think that he has such a caring heart for humanity and we could all really learn from his ability to see the world just exactly how it is with no judgment, no filters. Derek describes himself as a holy mischief maker and the unofficial pastor of the Misfits who is solely convinced that love can save the world. I'm really excited for you to hear what we talked about. So now, in the spirit of truth and honesty, here's my conversation with Derek. Hey, is this working? Yeah, hi. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? So great. Why is my video not happening? I don't know. Hold on. Got it. Okay. I was looking at a really cool picture of you in a Power Rangers t-shirt. Yep. That was when I lived in Cambodia in 2009. Okay. You can't be tossing out phrases like when I lived in Cambodia because I haven't even asked you any cool questions yet. And here you are diving into Cambodia. It's just a fact of my life. It's not a cool fact. It's just It's a cool fact. Anyway, how are you? Anyway. Say how you, how you are. Did I ask you that? Um, I'm great. <laughs> okay, that's a loaded answer. So good. So good. No sarcasm. None at all. Really great. Everything's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Same. Uh, did you come prepared for two truths and a lie? I think I did. I gave you so much time. I know, but I am just so bad at this. Are you? I, I thought I when I asked you, you said, I love this game. No, that has never been my attitude towards two truths and a lie. Well, that's okay. Before I have you do two truths and a lie, I'm going to quickly explain rules. Okay. Just for people that may not know rules. Okay. So rule is you tell me two truths and one lie. And I have to guess which one is a lie. Okay. Super easy, but just in case. Uh, I'm going to let you start off with yours. Okay. I spent some time, this is first one, spent some time living in Jackson, Mississippi. Two, I've broken three bones. And three, oh no, I had one. Oh, man. I've read the Bible one time. Meaning cover to cover. Cover to cover. Okay. Your pause 
makes me want to say that that's the lie. But I also feel like I know you well enough to say that you probably did that. I'm going to say your lie. (laughs) This is really hard. Is that you have broken three bones. You are correct. I've only broken two bones. Oh, I was going to say you've broken no bones because I feel like you are a cautious person. Not cautious, careful. I would say a careful person. Interesting fact. I, (laughs) the two bones that I've broken were the result of interactions with, it was when I was a kid, but it was like girls who broke both. Like, so one of them was, I was playing tag with kids in the neighborhood. And this is when I broke my collarbone. I think it was my right collarbone. So we're running around. It was boys versus girls. And it was like, so it was like team tag, but we each had like our safe, like safe zone. And so this girl just comes out of nowhere and she starts chasing me. And I'm like, I have to get to the safe zone. That is I'm so running like full tilt. She just comes up behind me and like hits me on the back. And I go falling forward and like push into the ground with my arms. Ooh. And so then like I knew something had happened to my shoulder. And so then like I went back to my house and my parents weren't there. It was my aunt who was watching me and my brother. She was like, I think it's just out of socket. So you just need to like rotate it and it will go back into socket. And I kid you not halfway through this motion of like rotating my arm. I felt it snap. That is terrifying. And all you were trying to do was play tag. Oh, play tag and be in the safe zone. Yeah. So I will go back to my original statement in that I feel like you're a cautious and careful person. (laughs) And even trying to get into the safe zone got you hurt. Yeah. Tough. Oof. I think there might be a lesson there. (laughs) There's, yes, there is. I want to circle back to you living in Jackson, Mississippi, because I don't know about that. It was only for like a month and a half. So live there is really loose terms. I mean... I got to know the city, like, I got to know, like, where things were. I was living there. It was before I went on a speaking tour for the organization that I worked in Cambodia with. Mm. Um, And so I was there helping, like, the U.S. director, like, doing speaking stuff around Jackson, as well as, like, helping do, like, clerical stuff, getting getting stuff ready to ship for our fundraiser, like out to other places in the U S. So. Okay. So it was short lived long enough that you knew the city and then you had to go long enough that I felt comfortable there. And then like long enough that I had emotional attachments when I had to, Mm. but for me, emotional attachments are pretty easy. I attach to people pretty quickly. So it's just a month and then back to the safe zone. No, just a month and then i was like on the road by myself so really quickly just so that i can get it out of the way yeah in my first intro episode zero Mm -hmm. i told two truths and a lie and i asked everybody to weigh in on it so i'm gonna see if you can guess correctly so that i can finally share that answer okay okay so my two truths were i'm sorry my two truths and a lie were 
<laughs> Can you imagine if I was like, here's my truth. Still going to switch it up. You're not going to know. Uh, so my first one is that the first time I ever did a card reading, it was on the floor of a storage closet in a doctor's office. The second, number two, uh, when we named our dog, I actually heard her name in a dream the night before we adopted her. And my third one is that the first time I heard the voice of God, he told me to leave the sanctuary and take off my shoes and come back. Hmm. I made sure that they all have good details. You really did. So, you know, I think, see, I've heard the story about the first card reading you ever did. And I just can't remember where you worked at the time. Cause I'm pretty sure you were at work cause like you did this and then your boss was your, cause your boss gave you the cards and you knew she was pregnant yeah. and but I don't know that it was a doctor's office. That's the thing that like is, I think that one might be the lie. Is this your final answer? Cause you said, I think, so I don't want to toss out the answer. And then you'd be like, I was not done guessing. I'm just going to go with the final answer. Yeah. That's my, that is actually the truth. I was working it at a was. weight. I was working at a weight loss clinic. Oh, damn it! <laughs> and we were in what was a giant storage room filled with boxes okay. and old chairs and things we didn't use. I mean, to be fair to myself, I got a lot of the details of that story. You did. That was a really good memory. <laughs> the lie was about our dog. I see that one was my initial like. Yeah, this one's a lie. Like the. I had a dream about her name because I'm like, e- no, that it just felt off. But then I was like, wait, the first one, I just couldn't remember if like, maybe you changed one minute detail oh. to throw off the whole thing because you were so detailed about so many, so much of it. So I was like, mm. I think it might be the, like the stray random detail that I know. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you remembered what you remembered. I want to talk about, because you've mentioned it twice already, I really, really want to talk about your time in Cambodia, if you don't. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Touched on it a bit in our few conversations, but I still have no idea what you're doing in Cambodia. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to pretend the little bit that I do know that I don't know. So I wanted to talk to you about it. Like, I have never talked about this before. Okay. Um, I want to know, like, what your time there was for, what you were doing. Like, let's start there. Why were you in Cambodia for so long? So I lived in Cambodia for two and a half years. I was working for a nonprofit called the Hard Places Community. Um, It's a pretty small nonprofit. Interesting fact, because I know that you know, like, Kevin uh, Garcia. But he had gone on this trip called the world race with adventures and missions. Mm -hmm. So the hard places community initially. So I met the the woman who went on to create the hard places community. When I went on an adventures and missions trip to Kenya in 2007. So I met her then at the time I had just read this book about, um, well, it was called The Irresistible Revolution by a guy named Shane Claiborne. 
Um, and in it, he had talked about like just the broken nature of like American Christianity and that it views like America as like God's chosen land. And so then like people justify doing horrible things to other people around the world for America, you know? And so, and like say that God is with us in that. And like, so I initially joined hard places because I thought that like God had given me this vision to go to the middle East and to just love people there. Um, and that was like my goal. I like talked to Allie at the end of my trip to Kenya and said, Hey, I know you guys had talked about like starting ministries and like more difficult situations. Um, I want in, I want to do that. So I initially like went to Cambodia in 2009 for six months as an intern with hard places. And at that point still like was of the mindset that like I'm going to Cambodia to work with this group, but it's not going to be where I stay forever. Um, eventually like I'm going to go to the middle East. Like this is just to solidify my ties to this group of people. And then like later, I'll launch into what like I want to do. Um, and then when I lived there in 2009, it was terrible and I hated it. And I left Cambodia six months later, never wanting to go back. What made it so terrible? I think you don't mind it was, sharing. I just think, so I thought I was going to have like specific purposes and specific things that I was like in charge of doing. And it wasn't that I also at the time was in a relationship with a woman and like was like all my friends from college were still at our same like college church. And so all of them were getting to spend all of this time together. And I was on the other side of the world with little access to any internet or anything. Like there weren't a ton of people my age around and so it was just this like really weird environment to exist in. I think it was just all of those things combined together that I was just like, and also before I had left to go to Cambodia in 2009, the lead pastor at the church that I had been uh, like an active like member at came up to me and said, and it was a campus ministry at Central Michigan University. He was like, hey, like, I never told you this, but uh, you actually have a really unique skill set that would be really good in campus ministry. Have you ever thought about it? So I'm like, cool, I'm about to move across the world, and now you're telling me that you think that I would be good at something that is not currently a viable option because I'm moving across the world. Anyway. Well, so, if I told you earlier, you probably wouldn't have gone to Cambodia, right? You would have been that, I mean, in campus ministry. Potentially. And I still, I moved back in 2010 um, and did campus ministry for a year and a half while I was supposed to be finishing my degree. Um, yeah. So I worked for that campus ministry for the next, like for the spring semester of the 2009, 2010 school year. And then for the whole 2010, 2011 school year, uh, I worked in campus ministry. And while I was there, 
I was continually like meeting with students and telling them like, Oh, like if you feel God is calling you to do something, you should do it. And all the while, like have this little internal voice saying like, okay, did you do that? Like, have you actually uh, done that? Like, I feel like me and God have a really uh, sassy and throwing shade relationship. I was going to say that Uh, sounds very judgmental, but in like a friendship way. Right. It's not in a like, you royally screwed up. It's like, uh, mm, okay. Like, can you really tell anyone else to do something that you yourself have not been engaged in or done? And there were just these moments where like during, cause so when I lived in Cambodia in 2009, also one of the things that made it really difficult was working in an environment where we, like we started this or we were a part of this kids program in this area where I think it was 90% of the kids at the time were being sexually exploited. Ooh. And so like having to deal with just constantly being surrounded by trauma is really hard. Um, and I was 22. So I'm like, like we found out that like these two boys were being exploited. And I mean, one of the moms, cause the one little boy, like, he had like become really attached to me. And so his mom was like, he was like eight. She was like, if you want him, you can have him. And I was like, I'm, I'm 22. I can't be a father to an eight year old child. Like that would be 14 year old me having a kid. Also, I don't fully speak the language of this child. Like there are so many reasons that this can't happen, but at the same time, like, it was just so hard to see, like, to become, like, emotionally invested in, mm. like, these kids who were going through such traumatic experiences. But at the same time, like, when I moved back to America and I was like, oh, I'm back with my friends. I mean, obviously that relationship fell apart, which God bless it that it did. <laughs> but, like, I would be at church and we'd be, like, worshiping and I would just, like, have like flashback kind of things of like the kids of Cambodia. And I was like, Oh man, I don't think my time there is actually done. And so I kind of like slyly planned a trip with some students from the ministry that I was involved in to go to Cambodia for a month, the summer of 2011. And at the same time was like, okay, I think I'm going to move back here. So what does that look like? What will I be doing? Like, if I'm going to be here, I need a more like real purpose, studied outdoor recreation. So I was like, okay, what could I do with that? I know tourism is a big industry. So I had this idea of like, what if we started a tour company, but I had no idea who would work in that tour company. So then I was like, okay, I have this idea. When we go in 2011, I will, I'll like flesh out some of the details because I'll be on the ground and we can figure this out. So in 2011, take a team of 14 people to Cambodia. Um, Hard places at the time was renovating a building that was going to become a like drop-in center for boys who are, are at high risk of being sexually exploited Um, because there were some, there are so many like, groups and ministries that are working with girls and women, but there aren't a lot of people who work with boys. Um, So 
our team mainly did renovation work on the building. We didn't do so much work with kids actually, but we did a lot of like the construction work to make the place into like what they wanted it to be. But while I was there, the woman who's the director of hard places was like, okay, Derek and Leslie was this woman who was my co-leader. She was like, Derek and Leslie, three days a week, you're going to go with Visna, who's one of our translators, who when I had been there in 2009, become one of my close friends. So Visna and Leslie and myself were charged with going and doing English classes at a male massage parlor. Um, and I, like the night before the first time we went, I started freaking out because like for me at the time, it was not in a place where like I was really willing to admit that like, Hey, I'm gay. And like, this might be a bad idea to put me in this environment. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew that I had like struggled with my sexuality. Yeah. And like, that was very much how I viewed it at the time. So I was like, this seems really dangerous and like, like not a great idea. But at the same time, I was like, okay, like I know Allie isn't going, and Allie knew. And I was like, I know Allie isn't going to put me in like a place where like it's going to be intentionally harmful to me, you know? And so I went and like it ended up being, I was like, this is it. Like nobody is working with this population of people. No one is providing any sort of opportunity for them. What if we started a tour company to help provide employment for men? who are being sexually exploited in massage parlors. So, and like, there was this one moment as I was there in 2011 that like will forever stick in my mind of like, we went into this place and like, we were teaching English and like, so the room is kind of set up. It's like a larger room, but there's a glass wall that divides the room and there's a couch on one side of the glass wall And then there's, like, workout equipment and other stuff that, like, the men who live at the massage parlor, like, have access to that side of the room. Um, So we were there, and we were playing, like, hangman, just to, like, go through vocabulary words. And, like, all of a sudden, like, the mood flipped, and they were like, okay, see you tomorrow or see you Friday or whatever. Like, it just switched, and they were, like, trying to get us out as fast as possible. So I turned to Visna, and I was like, what is going on? He was like, oh, a customer just came in. Like, we need to leave. And so, like, as we're walking out, like, I see all of these men who I've become friends with, because this is probably, like, week two or three of us being there at this point. I see all of these men that we've been working with and getting to know, like getting ready. Like they turned on these really bright lights that shine down on their faces. So they can't necessarily see through the glass and they have to like take their shirts off and stand behind this glass wall as the like customer on the other side chooses who he wants to be his masseur. And I was putting my shoes on and I just overheard this man say, oh, is this all you have to the manager? And be like, all of these guys look the same. Like, there's nothing special about any of them. And, like, I'm a pacifist. Like, I don't believe in, in redemptive violence at all. I wanted to beat the shit out of that man. 
like it took so much restraint within me not to just like freak out because like these people had become friends to me you know like mm-hmm. no one wants to hear someone refer to their friends as like there's nothing special about them or say like is this all that you have like like there's some stock that you you know what i mean like it's just yeah, like, like you don't have anything else in the back right it's it's just gross and it, it i was just like nope this is this is it. This is my passion project now. So I came back to America, fundraised for like six months straight for both myself and for this project, and then moved to Cambodia in 2012 and lived there for 2012 and 2013, and then moved back to the States in 2014. Whoa. That is a bigger adventure than I understood. I feel like it's a longer story than anyone, than like, yeah, I know. I think that it was it was perfect. I think you shared. I honestly had no idea that one you had been back and forth so much, and two, I didn't realize how close you were with the people that were being exploited. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I always understood your story as more of like a you knew it was happening and you were doing things within the community to try to prevent it or. Uh, you know, make it better or easier for those people. I didn't realize you were like sitting down and getting to know the people that were actively a part of it or actively. And like those people are my friends, you know, like that's the like crazy thing now is I feel like too, like there have been moments where I feel like I'm the weird person a lot in my life. Um, But one of the things that's probably the weirdest is when people talk and they're like, speaking about you know sex workers or like even even sometimes for multiple reasons like so i had a conversation with one of my friends recently about like decriminalizing sex work and making it legal and all these things and like i have a really hard time with that just because i have seen like because of the people that i have known like because i have seen like the toll that that can take on a person's like ability to connect with themselves and like with spiritual realities like that's a hard thing for me to sometimes like get my head to be okay with because of like the deep personal experience i have with a specific group of people so for me to try and like make a sweeping statement about it is is ridiculous but at the same time like just because of my personal experience i have a hard time with it but on the other side too, like when people are like speaking ill of or like talking down about people who are in sex work, I'm like, it pisses me off so hard because like, I'm like, no, these are people. Like even when I lived there in 2009, before I had started doing work with any of the men, like me and one of my coworkers with the organization would go out and do like bar ministry where we would go into prostitute bars and we would just like start conversations with the women that work there because like when you go in they'll like send two women to sit by you in the hopes that like those women will go home with you and you'll pay the price for them whatever so we would go and we would just like befriend them and like kind of feel their vibe and if they were if they if we could feel like they didn't want to be there we would be like okay like hey we know this organization who can provide alternative employment for you. Like 
you know, we were very much like undercover liberators is what it felt like. But like through that experience, I was like, Oh, like, so what do you guys like to do for fun? Like you just get to know people and you get to understand that like people are just people like Mm -hmm. people who work in sex work are not like maniacs and like, they're not all, you know, like coked out, you know, they're like the people that I met were like, Oh, I love to go shopping. I love to go like play games with my friends or go like walking by the riverside. I'm like, these are legitimately all of the things that I do in my free time. (laughs) Like we're now friends right? because we have shared interests. So it's this really weird it's this really weird facet of my life that like, I think sometimes I, I don't think about it all the time. So I'm like, it, it's not always relevant to every situation, but like, it is also a reality of my existence. So like, Oh, like these people are my friends, you know, like I, one of my old students from when I started the program with the tour company he like for the last two years did like this really intense cosmetology school and he just graduated like three months ago. I was at work in the morning and I like, because I was at work in the morning, I was up super early and I saw like someone started a live video. And so I clicked into it and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is Diane's graduation. Like no one had like sent me anything. And I was kind of annoyed by that. So I was like, Hey, wait, I should be, I should be at this. And I just sat there and like cried the whole time because I was just like so proud, you know, like this is one of my friends who, when I met him was in kind of a rough place. And now he's finishing this cosmetology school. He's going to like keep on at that salon, which is one of the high end salons in Phnom Penh. And at the same time, like he wants to do, like in his free time, he wants to do training stuff with other guys who were in who are in situations like he was. That's like so cool, you know. Like anyway, sorry. I think that's amazing. No, no, I think that I at first when you said student, I didn't fully understand student, and I was like, do you mean someone who you like helped find employment or alternative options? And so that's that's intense, and you yes. know, obviously more than one. So you have like handfuls of those kinds of experiences that are just gonna keep happening so you went there for ministry and if i'm honest i fully don't understand like so would you consider that like a missions trip i mean i was a missionary i wouldn't consider it a trip because it was just my life um because I don't really fully understand how missions, if I'm honest, I don't really understand how missions trips work. So I wasn't sure if there was intent. Essentially, I mean, definitely looking back, I, I don't know. I have very mixed feelings sometimes when I think about these, these things. Cause like, I definitely did, you know, like I based everything that I was doing And, like, this comes out of my love for Jesus. Like, I love Jesus, I know Jesus loves me, and I know Jesus loves you. And so that is why I'm here, like, that's why I'm doing things. I very much tried to leave it up to them to be the ones to ask me questions of, like, 
I'm not gonna like shove Jesus down your throat, especially since like in Cambodia. So that country in like the 70s and the late 70s had like a huge genocide that happened. Like two million people were killed over the course of four years. Um, and it was just really rough. And on the back end of that, Christian missionaries went there to provide aid, but they largely provided aid after you would convert to Christianity. I like oh. to call it rice-gianity because they would provide rice and food <laughs> if you converted. And I just think that that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So I very much wanted it to be, like, I was very much in a place where, like, I wanted all of them to understand God's love for them. Mm-hmm. Because I think, too, specifically with the gay and the trans community in Cambodia, like, they they view it as, like, a curse, like, a karmic curse that, like, you were born this way. Oh. Like, for trans people, they say, like, they call them ladyboys, and they're like, oh, ladyboys were women in a past life who, like, cheated either on their husbands or cheated with another man, and, like, his wife cursed this woman so that in her next life she would be born as a man with the feelings of a woman. And so, like, to me, that seems like a very unhelpful narrative to have in existence. Whereas, like, what I have experienced of God has been liberating and, like, freeing and hopeful and loving. So I was like, okay, like, if my experience is one of liberation and hope, and the one, and, like, the understanding in this culture at the moment of, like, karma is that you are suffering in this life because of some sort of karmic mishap in a previous life. Like, how can I help liberate from that narrative? Um, And so, like, I would say I kind of became, like, pastor to those guys. Like, we would do... Like, at one point, they asked us to get them all Bibles, um, and so we did. And then, like, I had the opportunity, which was really cool, to, like, baptize a couple of the guys. And, like, I don't know. And, like, when we left, I washed all, like, when I left, when I moved back to America, like, before I left, I wanted them to know that, like, I I don't know, just there's something beautiful, I think, about, like, washing people's feet and, like, honoring them. Mm. So, like, I washed all of their feet before I left just to be like, hey, I'm not here. Like, you guys are entrusted with the leadership of what's happening here, you know? So, it was definitely, like, all clothed in, like Jesus language, it wasn't necessarily, it didn't go there just with the sole purpose of, oh, you have to become a Christian. Right. That was always definitely like a hope or a like, oh, this is a thing that is a part of what I'm doing. Uh, just because like who I have understood and like experienced God to be has been like a liberating force. And so, like, if I have been liberated, then other people also, like, I want other people to be liberated as well. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm really relieved to hear that response. Not to say that I expected you to say, oh, no, we turned them into, what did you call them, rice, rice gins? Rice? I said rice-gianity. rice 
Um, I'm really glad to hear that wasn't your approach. No. Um, and I don't mean that to say like I expected it in any way because I've gotten to know you pretty well recently. And I feel like I know you better as a person than to be like, oh, he definitely went and demanded they accept Jesus in exchange for rice. But at the same time, I feel like my only interactions I've ever had with people who do these missions trips, it always feels like they come back almost like, look what I did or be proud of me or look how many Christians I got. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like fishing I think trip. that actually is one of the hardest things that was like one of the hardest things for me in like raising money. Cause like I wasn't, I wasn't paid by the organization. Like I lived fully off of support from people in the U S supporting what I was doing. And because my goal was never like, Oh, look at how many people I've saved. You know, like sometimes people don't always get that. Like they don't understand the like, Hey, I'm in life with these people. Like, these people have become my people. Like I invited them to my birthday party. Like they're not just the people that I'm like ministering to. Like they are my friends mm -hmm. and we are living life together. And to the point too, where like, like it was actually, it was this really, it was a beautiful time of life. It was the hardest time of my life bar none, but it was also like this, one of the most beautiful moments. Cause like, example one of my students who was like my best english student he just stopped coming to class and we we're all like what is going on where did he go he randomly called us one day and said hey i my dad got sick and my family needs more money so i got an offer to be in this lady boy show which is essentially a drag show up in the northern part of the country and this is what I'm doing now. And I was like, have you signed anything yet? And he said, not yet. I said, okay, we'll just wait. Like I'm going to come up there. And after we got off the phone with him, like my head was like, I have to convince him to come back. Like, this is going to be so bad for him. I have to convince him to not do this. But like, I had this like beautiful, like revelatory moment where I was like, that's not loving for me to like go there and try to manipulate him to come back and be a part of my program is actually like not love. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm going to go into this, a, I have to do it with love and B, I have to be aware that like for me to genuinely love this person, I have to allow him to be the one to make the choice. Like it cannot be me doing anything to you know, like try and persuade him. I'll offer him an option, but like at the end of the day, whatever option he chooses is his choice. Like, and that is what love is. And yeah. so it was this like crazy moment. And so like I took the midnight bus, it was like a six hour bus ride, got to the northern part of the country, like went and got a cup of coffee spent the day with him, talked to him, just asked him how he was doing, told him like what we could potentially do, like offering a little bit more money, but we couldn't offer a ton more because we had a budget. And he was like, I'll think about it, but I think I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to stay here. And that's what he did choose. 
but like the opening weekend like i went up there and went to the show and like i mean i'm sure if i went back and like messaged him like he and i could still like, get together and hang out and like he would know that i cared about him like you know i never let go of him and in my own heart like in loving him but like you have to you know allow people the the reality of choice like the power of their own choice it was just this like beautiful god moment for me where i was like oh like this is i feel like sometimes when you do those things like you become more in tune with the divine like with what the divine is doing in the world with what god is doing yeah and like it was just so cool to get to have those experiences so I've heard you mention a few things that I want to um, kind of pull out and like group together, if you don't okay. mind. Group um, away. And talk about whatever you feel like you want to talk about. So you've mentioned one really early in the story. You said, well, and at the time I was dating a woman and uh, for <laughs> listeners, they didn't get to see it, but you kind of rolled your eyes and like, oh man, that part of my life. What a time. You also mentioned, you know, like how you, at in this moment, when you were there, you were still referring to your sexuality in a form of like, I was struggling with, or I had struggled with. And then you also were working with these men who were identifying as either, or some kind of LGBT spectrum, right? And well, in some cases. Some of them, some of them were just there for the money, what people would classify as gay for pay. But also, sense. yeah, some of them are part of the LGBTQ community. So with all of that, do you think that your Cambodia experience pushed you towards, like, dealing with your own sexuality? Or do you think that that was happening, like, well before Cambodia? I mean, it was kind of happening before Cambodia, but I think Cambodia forced my hand in the way that, like, when I was after Cambodia, when I was living in California and I was processing all of that time of life, I was talking with my friend. Because, like, I think there was a part of me that still, like, when I moved there, believed that, like, oh, like, I could be, you know, I'm using air quotes for listeners, <laughs> to be free of this struggle And so I thought, like, oh, like, maybe if I can, like, be a part of doing this good work and, like, helping other people experience liberation, then I will also simultaneously be liberated through the experience. Um, That's so interesting. I think it was more of a pressure cooker situation where instead of it pushing me upward, like, I ended up really downward spiraling and, like, being in the worst. This is why, like, when I said like Cambodia was the hardest time of my life, but the best, like, or one of the most beautiful times, because like internally I was falling apart. Like I, yeah. Like the fact that like I survived that entire environment and like situation is like miraculous. I got to like the darkest, like worst place internally I was like, I can't keep doing this. This will only lead to death. 
and I choose to not, you know, like engage with that. So I left Cambodia pretty suddenly. Like I came back to the States partially because I had found out that my mom. So when I like in the midst of me living in Cambodia, my mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's, which is really hard oh. to like be so far away. Um, and so I had kind of initially come up with this idea of, oh, I'll do like a six month in the States. Like I can do speaking engagements and do fundraising for the organization. And then I'll do six months in Cambodia, kind of like checking in, like keeping up with everyone, making sure that everything's going well here. And so like, I came up with this plan to do six months on six months off, uh, in my first set of six months on like of fundraising i realized in that moment that like staying in cambodia was not what i needed to do so i started to think of like where can i go um which is when i made the decision to move to california but i was like on the speaking tour raising money for the organization i worked in cambodia with as i was like making this just like this decision to not move back there. And so like I moved, I went there in June of 2014 to host a team and to say goodbye to everyone and get all of my stuff and leave. But it was very sudden and I did not like give anyone the heads up that I probably should have, but I was definitely in like flight mode to like preserve my own life. But I definitely think that it like, it was an experience going back to your question that like forced my hand into like reckoning with these realities of my sexuality. And so that was 2014. Yes. And now five years later. And now five years later, here I am. How has that journey been? Do you- oh, it's been, it's been a journey. Like, I don't know. It's, it's hard. Cause I feel like every step I was inching closer and closer to like where I am now. And I'm very content and like feel very at peace with where I am now. Like I'm like fully embracing, you know, my sexual orientation, you know, I, over the last year, I would say like, I have really gone a year in like a few months. I, that's when I really like, it was probably not until March of 2018 that I like got to the full on place where I was like, okay, this is a piece of me. It's good. And God still loves me, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's where I am now. And it's been a, again, a year and a few months, but yeah, the last, the four years before that were, were a journey of like reckoning with all of the things that happened in Cambodia you know, coming to terms with all of my preconceived ideas and notions of God. The 2016 election is, as I like to call it, the uh, wrecking ball to my faith that I didn't know that I needed. Yeah. Like, I feel like I was already deconstructing a lot of what I believed. And then evangelical people largely supported Donald Trump. And any semblance of what I thought that I had as faith just kind of got crushed. Um, I feel like a spiritual chasm, like ripped open. 
in 2016. Yeah. And it was like, what it's unfortunate, but it was almost like, what side of this divide are you choosing to be on? And then at the same time, like up out of that rip came like all sorts of change and things that I think people really needed. Yeah. Well, and I think it was exposing to a lot of things. Cause like for me, specifically with my journey with my sexuality, like having been raised in a lot of conservative Christian world, you know, like, and being I'm sorry, told, I don't want to interrupt. Can you confirm for me one more time? Cause I never remember the name of it. You were raised in what kind of so church? Something about brethren. It has its, or, yeah, it has its roots in the Plymouth Brethren Church. Plymouth it Brethren. wasn't technically a Plymouth Brethren Church. It just was, they were a non-denominational church that pretty much all of the people there had been brethren before and they just wanted to become relevant. And so they dropped the brethren part and just went for non-denom as part of uh, their identity. Anyway, very conservative environment, very much. They're the, like, the truth is absolute kind of people. Mm. And so, like, in 2016, as I'm hearing people still say that regarding sexuality, regarding other things, I'm also seeing those same people try to justify and tell me that the words that I'm seeing with my own eyes come out of this person's mouth aren't real like aren't what he's saying and i'm like it's absolutely what he's saying he just said it the truth is absolute so like if truth is absolute as you have led me to believe it is then you need to get on your own side and figure out like okay the truth of what this person is speaking is absolute because we believe the truth is absolute and i'm still going to support him question marks i don't get it you know like that makes no sense so you know like that was kind of it for me where i was like oh if you guys don't have to uh hold yourselves to any standard of truth then apparently truth is just not a thing so that yeah. wasn't just one question mark. It sparked a series of question marks of like, hold on. It was a question mark that was made of matches that then lit on fire everything that was left. Mm. <laughs> so you think that if you were to compare um, Derek from spiritual upbringing to Derek today, do you think they would like recognize each other at all? Oh, I pretty pretty regularly tell myself if 22 year old me saw 32 year old me 22 year old me would probably be very upset with who i am um and i'm fine with that because 22 year old me was working with the knowledge that he had you know like mm-hmm. one thing that i've learned over the last year and a half because um, i read this book by richard Rohr, who is just one of my favorite people uh so i read his book called falling upward um which is like the subtitle of it is spirituality for the two halves of life. And he talks a lot about spiritual process and like the way we process spiritual knowledge and wisdom and information. So he talks about like um, the process of like construction, deconstruction and reconstruction. I love all those things. So for reconstructed me to look at just construction level me and judge him and say that like, he was, you know, like to feel negatively towards myself in the past just seems like an illogical thing because who I am now, like 
who I am now would not be the same person if 22 year old me had been working with other information. Like I very much am a person who believes that like every experience that you have has led you to where you are now. And so like to think back and think that you would rather have not gone through an experience. Can you really even say that? Like I was bullied as a kid, you know, like, yeah, there's a part of me that wishes like kids weren't dicks, but at the same time they were. And you know what it taught me? It taught me to like not be a dick because I didn't want to be like those kids. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Oh, think like shit happens to every person. Every human goes through something. And so it's not yours to choose what you do or like what happens to you. It's up to you to choose how to react to and how to grow from and live with the things that you do or that are done to you. You know, like you can't go back in time. That's just not a thing. It's not a technology that we have. And even if it was, I don't know. What's the point? What's the point? I'm going to say that last thing that you just said, I'm like, that's the title. That's the intro. That's the right there. Like what you just said was, oh my gosh, I'm so happy you just said that. Yeah. I don't even know how to, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him a really interesting question about that, but it's just sitting with me in a way that I wasn't expecting. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, I also probably went away because I think my mom was calling me. That's okay. I, <laughs> you could, your mom, she's come up a lot. Uh, love that. I love that lady. Good. You should. So your um, last thing, just really quick, just because I'm curious, your relationship with your parents is good. Yes. Yeah. You would say, okay. Yeah. I would know. say my relationship with my parents is good. Cause I would say it's evolving. You know, I, like, I think as they're, reconciling the fact that like i'm not a child anymore you know what i mean and i haven't been for a while but like when i moved back to michigan i lived with them so i was gonna say you're 32 so i mean asking someone how's your relationship with your parents at 32 i feel like most of the time people be like well they're my parents like at but this point, i kind of like i'm very I'm very close adults. with my parents like honestly when we hang up like the reason my mom's calling me is because i'm going to the beach with my parents today because i just love to spend time with them so it's growing. It's hard sometimes because I don't think that they always specifically like my mom is much more open to new ideas and concepts than my dad is a lot of the time. I don't know. It will be very interesting to see. Cause like, I mean, you and I know, I guess <laughs> all the listeners now are going to know. So like I've had a conversation with my mom about like me being more embracing of my sexuality. And I am having that conversation soon with my dad. So it'll be very interesting to see like what our relationship becomes out of this. But like at the same time, like I know deep down that he very much loves me. Mm -hmm. And so like, I know that like, he's not going to disown me or anything, you know, like it's not going to be in that level. But at the same time, like, it'll just be interesting to see. And I just continually pray that, like, I have grace, you know, to, I have grace for the moments when grace isn't always extended to me. 
I think that's something that we lack a lot in the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the reasons. So when I moved back to Detroit, like I wanted to like start a church um, and I wanted to call it the sanctuary because I feel like so much of the world is, you know, like violent and just volatile. And back in the day, churches were places where like the outside world can't get to you here, you know, like claim sanctuary. Right. And I, I just want those spaces to exist again. Like I want people to feel safe and so much of organized religion and so much of like evangelical Christianity has become such an unsafe place for so many people. And so like my heart is to like create a space that would be a place of safety for, for people to exist in. Right. But part of that is in learning to hold grace for like, if you're going to, if you're going to say that you give yourself fully over to love, like to divine love, it can't just be for the people who think like you and you can't just create safe spaces for one kind of people, you know, like for a safe to actually become a place that would be deemed a safe space. Anyone has to be able to be safe. there, Even when a mean girl is chasing them and they get pushed down and break their collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> Going to the safe zone. Everybody. <laughs> The journey to the safe zone with Derek Collard. Done. It's happening. Uh, no, don't do that. But uh, I'm pretty sure it's uh, my decision. So. It absolutely Just let me make decision, my decision, okay? Derek. Okay? You can make give me options and make suggestions, but it should be out of love and just let me make my own decisions. You're right. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I think for me, like, with my dad, like, because I've, I've heard people in the LGBTQ community be like, oh, if your parents don't get behind you, fuck them. Like, you have a new oh. family now. And I'm like, that just seems like so... Like, I understand, I understand, like, the mental processes that are going on behind making those decisions, you know? Like, and I think it does apply to some extreme situations, obviously, if you're yeah, in a right. dangerous place or you're... Right, if someone is, like, is seeking to physically harm you, yes, like, screw them, get out of there protect yourself, be safe. But I think for like, for so many people, it's like, like for me, I spent 30 years of my life believing one way about my own experience. For Mm -hmm. me to expect that I'm going to walk into a conversation with anyone who's older than me, who has felt some type of way about what I'm about to talk to them about and expect that like immediately they're going to just like, flip the switch and be 100% okay with something that up until this point they've had a semi-strong or very strong opinion about. Yeah. It's just an illogical thought process. You know, like it wasn't just 30 years of silence for you either. It was 30 years of, it was 30 years of Cambodia and internal (laughs) processing. That's what it was 30 years of wrestling with reality. And so like, if I in 30 years of wrestling have come to this conclusion, then I want to also be able to hold space and have grace for other people to do their own wrestling and to be a constant presence of love and peace, you know, and like bring that and like show them that. Cause like those things exist inside of me. Like since I have taken a more affirming stance, like 
I have felt so much more peace with divine reality, like with God, than because I'm actually bringing my full self into my relationship with the divine. Mm -hmm. And like, there's no way for me to get anyone else to understand that except for to exemplify it and to live it. And living it doesn't necessarily make the like, oh yeah, like this is, I, I'm not going to make up someone's mind in, in just a moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, And I think that with that said, you have definitely earned the title of unofficial pastor of the misfits. Congratulations. It is, it is a ordained title. That's okay. <laughs> I am, I have a free online ordination and therefore I think that I can yes. give you that ordination. We'll just sign you up for that. Yeah. If, um, cause I know, uh, we should probably wrap up cause I could ask probably. you a more questions. Um, if people want to find you or follow you or get to know you or become your new best friend, where can they find you? It is very easy to become my new best friend because I always love new people. Um, you can find me on Instagram at D A R E K dot C O L L A R D. Derek Dollard. Yeah. Because my name isn't actually spelled like that, but the way it's actually spelled was taken. So. I actually looked that up to find out why you didn't take it, and they don't even use their Instagram. Which is so. the most annoying thing. Well, anyway. But it also, <laughs> it, it also kind of has a funny story, because I went to Starbucks at one point, and they wrote my name, D-A-R-E-K, on a cup one time. And I was like, pretty sure no one uh, spells it like that, guys, but thank you. And, and then, I like, guess kind of, they would have spelled it with the D-E-R-R-I-C-K. Well, and then it became a joke with, like, some of my friends. Like, dare is the first part of that. So they're like, oh, dare to be Derek. And then I was like, that's actually kind of clever. So you can also check out my website, which is daretoBederek.com. Oh, right. Um, that's funny. I was wondering yeah. where that came from. Yeah, it came from a misspelling of my name on a Starbucks cup. And I think I'm on Twitter at D-A-R-E-K-C-O-L-O-A-R-D. If you think you're on Twitter, I no, I am. I actively use Twitter. I'm actually oh. pretty active on Twitter. I just can't remember what my handle is. Okay. Well, I'll find it. I'll put your info in the episode okay. description. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Enjoy the beach. Have fun conversations. And yeah. we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. All right. That was my conversation with Derek Collard. Let me just say a huge thank you to Derek for sharing and taking the time to talk with me. I mean it when I say I honestly could not have asked for a better first guest. Definitely make sure that you follow Derek on Instagram and Twitter and give his website a visit. That's daretoBederek.com. Then hop on over and follow me as well wherever you currently live in cyberspace, whether that be on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You can find me at The Diviner Life. You can also check out my website, thedivineyourlife.com, for more info about me and what I do. If you enjoyed what you heard today, be sure to stick around for some more fun conversations as I will be releasing new episodes every two weeks. If you really loved what you heard today, please subscribe on whatever platform you've chosen to listen on and then share this episode with your friends, your family, your neighbors, your baristas and Uber drivers, or whoever else it is that you come in contact with today. 
If you really, really loved this episode, leave me a rating and a review to help others find the show. Thanks again for listening. I really do love you. I appreciate you. And until next time, be true, be you, be honest. <laughs>